Hey, hey, all you punk rockers out there, it's time for another episode of Let's Talk Punk Rock. Today we'll be getting into a little more recent of a band, so if you're out of control or you fall back down under that red hot moon, who would have thought we're doing rancid? Okay, so full disclosure, Rancid was one of those punk bands that I had always known about but never really took the time to listen to. I mean, I definitely had heard them before and probably stumbled across a music video, but until researching this episode, I don't think I could have told you the name of a single song of theirs. That being said, they are definitely somewhat of an enigma in the punk rock world. It's almost like they're trying too hard to show everyone they're punk, but at the same time not letting themselves fall into the same old punk rock sound obvious Clash influence aside. The other thing I want to say before we get started is that this episode probably won't be nearly as long as my last two. You see, with the Bad Brains and the Stooges, there are all sorts of articles, books, and documentaries to go through the decades of activity, but with Rancid, there really wasn't a whole lot to go off of. The only documentary I found, which I had happened to see on my own before researching this band, was The Other F Word, which is about punk rockers who have become dads. And that's only mentioned here because Lars Fredrickson is in it for a brief bit. Not a great documentary if you're looking for Rancid, but a pretty killer documentary anyway, showing a different side to those punk icons we all love. The other resource, which was slightly more helpful, was a book called Gimme Something Better by Jack Boulware and Silky Tudor. It only had a chapter or two focused on Rancid though, so most of my research for this one comes from the good old internet, interviews, magazine articles, etc. So, with nothing else to say on that, let's dive in. Formed in Berkeley, California in 1991, Rancid was brought out of the ashes of another punk band I hope to cover one day, Operation Ivy. You see, Operation Ivy broke up in 1989, and two of its members, Tim Lint Armstrong and Matt McCall Freeman, went on to eventually form Rancid. Where these nicknames came from, I have no idea, but whatever. A nickname is a nickname and sometimes just makes no sense at all. Now, neither of these guys had the best home lives. Tim Armstrong had a rough enough home life that he would often crash at his brother Jeff's house as a teen. He was the son of an alcoholic, which was a big source of the issues. His other brother, Greg, played drums in a punk band called Shut Up, which could be where he got his lead into the punk world. I've seen a couple different references to where he got into punk, so I'm not saying anything for sure there. Freeman was the son of a cop who had policed the area during the anti-war era of the 1960s. This, as you can imagine, would not mesh well with the punk world these two were headed into. Armstrong and Friedman had grown up together in Albany, California, not far from Berkeley. As I said earlier, they played together in Operation Ivy from 1987 to 1989 when the band broke up. After that, they formed a ska-punk band called Downfall. That didn't last long. They then attempted a hardcore band called Generator that also did not last. Freeman got on playing bass for MDC, completing one U.S. and one European tour, and Armstrong came along as a roadie. Armstrong, unfortunately, wasn't able to keep a schedule together due to his own alcoholism and couldn't stick it out. Armstrong was suffering pretty severely from alcoholism by this point. He would be staying at the Salvation Army for a few weeks at a time. Eventually, Freeman stepped in and suggested they try to get a band going again. They brought in Brett Reed as a drummer, and early Rancid was formed. Reed, however, barely knew how to play drums in the beginning, but he had been friends with Armstrong since they were five, playing Little League together, so the fit was right. 
They released their first EP on Lookout Records in 1992. Lookout was the label that Operation Ivy had used, so they already had an in there. The very next year, though, they left Lookout and signed with Epitaph Records. This is Brett Gurwitz's label. In case the name doesn't ring a bell, he's the lead guitarist of Bad Religion. Either way, Larry Livermore of Lookout Records was not thrilled at this change, but Epitaph was giving nearly full creative control to the band and better opportunity than they would have gotten on Lookout. They then released their first self-titled album, Rancid. After their first album was released, they decided to get a second guitarist. They asked Lars Fredrickson to join them, but he turned them down. He was currently playing in another band called Slip at the time. Billy Joe Armstrong had done a little work with Rancid and was asked to join. Wait, what? Yeah, that Billy Joe Armstrong. No relation to Tim Armstrong, by the way. He also turned them down due to, you guessed it, the rising success of his own band, Green Day. Slip disbanded, and Lars Fredrickson changed his mind. He was now part of Rancid. When Lars met everyone, he had a serious drinking problem. Picture the most obnoxious drunk you could run into at a party. That's what I imagine Fredrickson was like at this point in his life, based on these stories. Threatening people, pissing on people, just being an all-around asshole. Armstrong, having been through this same personal hell, noticed that Fredrickson had a problem. Instead of turning on him, he decided to help him out. He found him a place to live and even paid his first month's rent for him. Now, I'm not sure exactly when Fredrickson got sober, but I would like to point out that both Armstrong and Fredrickson have been sober now since some point in the early 90s. In 1994, Fredrickson was officially in when he was on their second album to be released. That album was Let's Go. They then went on tour with another Epitaph Records band, The Offspring. The Offspring were hitting it big with their album Smash, and Rancid went out with them for the Smash tour in 1994. This gave Let's Go enough publicity to reach number 97 on the Billboard Heat Seekers. Along with that exposure, their music video for the song Salvation began getting played on MTV. It's your standard 90s video of the band playing their song cut with clips of cruising around, standing in front of locations, motorcycles, and the sporadic girl dancing. The song is talking about Tim Armstrong's time in the Salvation Army rehab, where he would go out and collect the donations people were giving away. Listen to the lyrics as he even mentions working for the Salvation Army. Now, I'd like to take a quick pause here for a moment in case I have anyone too young to remember. Before the show The Real World stepped in and ruined everything, MTV actually had something to do with music. Everything they had had some sort of music element to it. I couldn't even tell you what's on there now, but I know it's not what it used to be. Okay, off my soapbox there. Salvation's music video on MTV got the band widespread exposure. Now they were being seen and heard all across the nation. Again, it's your typical punk rockers with leather jackets and mohawks playing music and running amok around town type of video. Not bad, really. Go check it out. So, after a short string of success there, Rancid began to be approached by major record labels. 
I don't know if they ever expected this kind of attention, but they have all said things to the effect of it being much more crazy than they would have imagined. Rumors began circulating that Epitaph Records staff were not allowed to talk to the press. No idea if that one is true or not, but the rumors were there. They also had an executive from Epic Records trying to sign them, and they were able to get him to shave his head into a blue mohawk. The most outrageous story, though, which pops up in multiple sources I found, was the attention they received from Madonna. Now, we remember from the Bad Brains episode that Madonna has her own label called Maverick Records. Rumors came out that Madonna had sent the band nude photos to entice them to join. This is kind of true, but it's not as wild as it sounds. What happened was that Madonna had given them a photocopy of herself nude, yes, but it was from her book Sex, released in 1992. Still, despite the offers and all the hype that the band was receiving, they decided to stay with Epitaph Records, who had given them so much creative freedom. August 22, 1995, we see the release of possibly Rancid's most well-known album, Out Come the Wolves. The name is in fact a reference to all of the attention they had been getting from the major labels once they became a more well-known band. For a little extra help, they pulled in Jerry Flynn to help produce this album. He was the man who mixed Green Day's iconic album, Dookie. Out Come the Wolves reached number 45 on the Billboard 200 and has now gone platinum. That means that it has sold at least 1 million copies. The album had pretty positive reviews from critics, but received some backlash from the Gilman Street Punks where Rancid got their start. All the backlash was for things like getting big heads about their band, selling out, having music videos, etc. The usual things people will complain about when a small local band they love moves on to being nationally known. They toured for two years on Outcome of the Wolves, with the biggest singles being Roots Radical, Time Bomb, and Ruby Soho. They were even able to perform Roots Radical and Ruby Soho on Saturday Night Live in 1995. Ruby Soho is probably the most well-known off the album. It is even now the entrance music for the wrestler Ruby Soho, formerly Ruby Riot. The song being about a breakup where one goes off to play music, leaving the girl behind. Both know the relationship is over. After their two years of touring that album, they returned to the studio in 97 to record their next album. Life Won't Wait was released June 30th, 1998. At 64 minutes, 14 seconds, this is their longest record yet. They really embraced their ska and reggae influences for this album and even recorded it partially in Jamaica. In 1999, Rancid somewhat jumped ship from Epitaph and joined Hellcat Records. I say somewhat here because Hellcat is actually a sub-label of Epitaphs, founded in 1997. It was a partnership between Brett Gerowitz and Tim Armstrong. On August 1st, 2000, Rancid released their second self-titled album. Yes, this is confusing, that means there are two Rancid albums called Rancid. This second self-titled album hit 68 in the Billboard charts and leaned heavily on hardcore instead of the ska and reggae like before. They then joined the 2001 Warp Tour. In March of 2002, they did a collaboration thing with the band NoFX. 
The album was called BYO Split Series Volume 3. In the album, Rancid did covers of No Effects songs, and No Effects did covers of Rancid songs. That same year, the band got back in the studio to record their next album, Indestructible. Indestructible was released August 19, 2003. This may be the band's most emotional album. Many of the songs deal with deaths of friends and family, along with the rough divorce of Tim Armstrong and Brody Dahl of the Distillers that same year. Similar to An Outcome the Wolves, Indestructible received good reviews from critics, but backlash from the fans. The album was released on Epitaph slash Hellcat Records, but also had a distribution deal with Warner Brothers. That deal caused many fans to question the band's loyalty to the independent label they had been on for so long. They were also criticized for having a poppier sound on this album and including Good Charlotte and Kelly Osbourne in their music video for Fall Back Down. And if I'm being honest here, I like the song. It is poppier than their other stuff, but not bad. That being said, the music video is kind of bizarre. The inclusion of Good Charlotte and Kelly Osbourne seems way out of place, but either way, the song is solid. After touring for Indestructible, Rancid went on a hiatus in 2004. That's not to say that the band wasn't doing anything. They all had other work to do. Armstrong's side project, The Transplants, released their second album, Haunted Cities, in 2005. He also added guitar and backing vocals to Cypress Hill's What's Your Number, and in 2007 he released a solo album, A Poet's Life. Fredrickson worked on his side project, Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards. They released their second album, Viking, in 2004. Freeman filled in with Social Distortion in 2004 until they found their new bass player. On top of that, Freeman and Fredrickson both had children during this hiatus. Freeman had two and Fredrickson had one. The band reformed in 2006. On April 13th, they announced their plans for a world tour that July. They were also releasing a DVD with all of their music videos on it, and mentioned a then-unnamed album to be released in 2007. Once the tour got going, they had to postpone some dates. Fredrickson collapsed on stage in Montreal. I haven't found the reason, but I have seen that it was possibly a seizure. Either way, a medical issue like that will set a tour back. Some more shocking news on November 3rd, the band officially announced the departure of Brett Reed. He is replaced by Brandon Steineckert of The Used. They were able to get an album out as they promised that year. On December 11th, the band released B-Sides and C-Sides. From here, the fun stories kind of fizzle out, but the band isn't done. They headlined Punk Spring 2008 Festival, followed by a tour of Japan in April. After the Japan tour, they go on a full U.S. tour through the summer, and then a Europe tour in the winter. Say what you will, but this is one hard-working band. June 2nd, 2009, Let the Dominoes Fall is released, and they stream it on their MySpace page in late May. They then tour North America with Rise Against, Riverboat Gamblers, and Billy Talent as opening bands from June 4th in Vancouver 
to July 31st in Toronto. June 10th, they appear on Conan O'Brien. Not a whole lot the next couple years, and then August 25th to December 4th of 2011, they go back on tour as the supporting act for Blink-182. They have an expected release date of 2012 for their next album. March of 2012, they play some shows with Coxbar. Coxbar has their 40th anniversary and Rancid has their 20th. Not releasing an album like they had expected in 2012, Rancid does have a song come out in December of that year. Fuck You is their first studio release in three years at this point. They decided to make it free on their website. To me, it seems like they're just saying how they really felt about it all. They do also release Rancid Essentials that year, which is a box set of their music so far. As people still wait for a new album at this time, Rancid posts a picture of themselves in the studio on February 6, 2013, saying that recording had begun. There is a Reddit interview in December of that year with Brandon Steineckert, letting people know that the album will be called Honor Is All We Know and will be released in 2014. September 28, 2014, they release album art and track listing for the new album. The next day, they announce the album will be out October 27th. That's a long time coming for an album that was originally expected to be out in 2012. The next day, on September 30th, the band releases a video of them playing three songs from the new album. Another two years go by and Rancid ends up performing on a cruise ship of all places with none other than Flogging Molly, Fishbone, The Street Dogs, and Frank Turner in March of 2016. Fast forward another year and Rancid play Lollapalooza, Sao Paulo, Brazil, March 25th, 2017. They are playing to around 100,000 people here. A couple months later, May 2nd, they announce on their Facebook that their next album will be out June 9th. This one is called Troublemaker. And that's about where the trail kind of fizzles out, everybody. Until around the time of this episode where they have announced their Boston to Berkeley 2 tour with the Dropkick Murphys. I still have yet to see or hear of any news of albums coming out. That being said, they still are a great band to check out. And if you go to their website, they have all of their music videos up there, so you don't have to search through everything with Rancid in the title on YouTube. This includes what looks like the entire Troublemaker album. Alright, that's it for Rancid. Like I said, a shorter episode today, but that's what you get with a more recent band, I guess. Less time active makes less stories. They did still give us plenty with the 30-some-odd years they've been around, though. Anyway, a very special thank you to all you punk rockers out there who are listening. You are the ones who give me the drive to make these episodes. Thanks again to Granddaddy Longgreg for making the cover art for the show. He does some really great work. If I can ever get him to make a website, I'll let you know so you can check out his other stuff. And if you like the logo, head on over to tpublic.com to check out some of our merchandise. Those guys will slap that logo on just about anything you can imagine, and it helps to keep the lights on here as well. Go check it out. Link in the show notes. If you want to help out another way but don't want to spend money on some merch, I totally get that. You can leave a five-star review for the show or tell a friend. That helps spread the word, and if nothing else, it's a good place to leave suggestions for other punk bands to do in the future. This is a one-man production, so bear with me as I get these episodes out. I would try to keep to a consistent schedule, but a lot, and I mean a lot, of research goes into this show so that I can give you the most accurate story that I can. 
If you don't feel like leaving a review, or maybe you already left one but have more band suggestions, you can send those to letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. That's all one word, letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. If I got anything wrong in this episode, that would be the place to let me know, so I can make corrections as well. As I said in the last episode, I also love hearing punk rock stories, so for right now, that is also the best place to share those. I mean anything related to punk too. Did something crazy happen at a show you were at or playing at? Did you get to meet a punk rock idol of yours? Ever see a show that just blew your mind? Let me know about it. I may even read it on the podcast sometime. Lastly, social media. I have a Facebook page for the podcast that you can like, talk on, whatever. I'm still figuring it all out. There's also a Twitter, Let's Talk Punk. That's let's underscore talk underscore punk. Okay, finally the last portion of the show. Hints for our next episode. They're a street punk band formed in the early 90s. Their most recent albums were put out on Hellcat Records. They hail from Massachusetts. And a couple oddball references. They have two songs that have been featured in Jackass. And there is a poster for this band in the bedroom of the character Evan in Superbad. Think you know who it is? I know I didn't give you a whole lot to go off, so good luck. Let me know who you think on social media. Otherwise, you'll just have to wait for the next episode of Let's Talk Punk Rock. Alright everybody, that's it. Catch you on the flip side.